conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined by a brand new guest, Travis Newton, and we are talking about the Adventure Zone Amnesty episodes one through five, plus the setup. I also listened to that one, so I listened to six of them technically. But Travis, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you, Dana. So I want to just jump right in because it's not very often that I do a podcast about another podcast, but this one is unique to me at least because most of what I'm listening to are sports podcasts, pop culture podcasts, you know, things like what you and Drew do on genre vision, those types of podcasts. I'm not necessarily listening to fiction type stuff with the exception of some of the podcasts that Marvel has done. And gotcha. you suggested this and I was like, okay, it'll be a while because I have my regular podcast queue, as you know, and I edit and do my own podcast. And I was like, okay, if we do a limited amount of episodes, I can make this happen, and I am very glad we did, but why don't you tell me a little bit about why this is a podcast that you wanted to talk about? Well, um, I hadn't listened to a whole lot of fiction podcasts before I started listening to The Adventure Zone, but um, you know, one of the big things I was, I was curious about as, as far as recommending this as a fiction podcast is I was worried about the barrier to entry, like, cause I would love to recommend this show to anybody just because of how much I enjoy it. But, um, I had been kind of worried about it. Like if you're a total neophyte coming into it, are you going to get what's going on? Because so much of, I feel like my appreciation of the adventure zone as a podcast comes from the sort of meta understanding of what the show has been through throughout its run, because it's a wildly popular podcast. And I think at this point has far outstripped the success of the McElroy brothers, other shows of which there are many. So I, I think one of the re- big reasons I recommended to you is like, okay, well, is Deanna going to feel a bit thrown in the deep end with the show or is, you know, is it going to catch on pretty quickly for a new listener? Because so much of what happened among the listenership when this debuted was, I think a lot of fan disappointment because they were starting another story that didn't feature the characters from the previous one and was a very different game system. It was a very different tone. So, you know, not knowing any of that, I was like, okay, I wonder if there's still enough to appreciate about it, not knowing all of the sort of meta details of the history of the show. Yeah, it was a little bit of both for me. I wasn't sure what to expect. And I think the setup episode helps a lot with the Amnesty arc in particular, because to me, this feels like something along the lines of Dungeons and Dragons, but maybe with slightly different rules, depending on what arc they're doing. Is that a correct evaluation? Yeah. Well, this is a tabletop role-playing game similar to Dungeons and Dragons in that a lot of it is based on dice rolls. And there is a dungeon master or game master. Um, but in this version of this tabletop role-playing game, that role is called the Keeper. Um, okay. This whole game that they're playing instead of Dungeons and Dragons is a game called Monster of the Week. And that was designed by a couple of guys named Michael Sands and Steve Hickey. And Monster of the Week is actually based on a game system, a game engine, a tabletop game engine that is way simpler than Dungeons and Dragons. A while before Monster of the Week was 
ever thought of. There was this game, a tabletop role-playing game called Apocalypse World that was invented by a pair of people. I think it's McGay Baker and Vincent Baker, if I'm not mistaken. Their whole game system caught on and people really liked it because of its simplicity. Um, You know, in Dungeons and Dragons, you need several different kinds of dice for instance for different kinds okay. of roles and the and the rules can get quite and the rules can get quite convoluted in D&D but in this all you need is two six-sided die and so it simplifies so many mechanics and really puts a a bigger emphasis on generating conflict in the narrative and forming less of a sort of power fantasy for the players. You know, D&D is all about like, you know, extreme <laughs> wizardry and big spells and this right. sort of thing. But Power by the Apocalypse actually promotes sort of smaller scale stories with greater conflict. So Monster of the Week adopts the Apocalypse system. The, Mo- the McElroy brothers had used the Apocalypse system in a previous brief arc of their larger story. And so I feel like a lot of fans were reticent to dive into a new story that used that same system because I feel some of them have been kind of, you know, put off by it. You know, uh, a lot of people were looking for a D&D show in Taz, but okay. The Adventure Zone is not really a D&D show. It's a tabletop role playing show. So with Monster of the Week, the whole experience of that is trying to emulate TV shows like X-Files, um, the early seasons of Buffy and Supernatural. So you have characters who will fight monsters and uncover conspiracies and mysteries. And all all the different character types are centered around the archetypes of characters found in those shows and in similar fiction. Yeah. So that was something that I wasn't super familiar with. So when they were kind of explaining some of the stuff in the setup, I was still a little lost, but I was interested in the premise of that because... While I haven't watched any of the shows that you mentioned, I know what they're all about. And I've seen bits and yeah. pieces here and there just because those shows are all so massive. But with this, I think the hard thing is being descriptive enough to have the listener's imagination sort of run with what they're telling you. And it's obviously a podcast that you really have to pay attention to, which based on what I said I listened to, I'm typically multitasking and the Marvel episodes that I've listened to don't tend to run nearly as long. I think a good majority of them were in the 20 to 30 minute range and I listen at like 1.8x speed. So those weren't taking up (laughs) quite as much of my attention span at one time. So for this, I would find myself sometimes having to pause like halfway through the episode and just take a quick break and then return to it. It is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And because it uses a lot of original music and some sound design, not a whole lot of sound design, but enough that, you know, it could be important. It rewards listening at 1.0 speed because the, the music all composed by um, Griffin McElroy, who, who is the, the keeper, uh, the game master of this game and of their previous, you know, the, of the previous big game from, from the Adventure Zone. Like he, as a composer, evolved so heavily throughout the course of making the adventure zone amnesty that uh, I own both of the, the uh, music albums that they, they put out for this because the music is just great. Love it. I was going to ask you if you had consumed any of the other types of media, because I noticed they had released graphic novels as well from this. And that's something that's obviously up my alley. As you know, I like comics very, very much. And when I found that out, I was like, okay, so they, created this thing and sort of built this whole 
media enterprise around it. And it's always very interesting to me when that happens, just as, you know, a podcast nerd, comic book nerd, what have you. And I think the way they have done the world building, especially within this arc alone, you know, Kepler, West Virginia is the central location for this. The characters do come from different areas at first, but it's like the story centers around this smaller town and you really get a sense for what it takes to create something like that, especially when they're describing like, oh, there's a pizza hut here and so-and-so here, and then here's the Amnesty Lodge. And you really just can dive deep into the world that they're creating. And the fact that you can do that in multiple forms of media now too is amazing. Yeah, well, the the graphic novels are um, right now adaptations of the prior big story, which is called Balance. And Balance was huge in in many, many ways. In, in terms of listenership, it was extraordinarily popular. And what was what sort of skyrocketed the Adventure Zone to the level of fame that it, that it has. And it also takes place in a vast fantasy world where there's an extraordinary, I mean, almost unthinkable amount of world building. I mean, like Frank Herbert Dune levels of stuff. I mean, it's not as thought, it's not as well thought out in terms of things like what's the economy of the world and things like that. It's really just a big fantasy that um, went on for a very long time. I think the balance arc had just shy of 70 full episodes. That's a lot. (laughs) Most of which were over an hour long, some of which were darn near three hours long. Um, it's an enormous wealth of material and it spawned this incredibly fervent fandom. So it was decided that balance would eventually end. They would still continue to perform those characters from balance that people loved at live shows. Now the live shows have ceased, unfortunately, due to the pandemic. But even before the pandemic began, they had started to phase those characters out and, and no longer use them. And they were doing um special like one-off events for for live shows instead and those were very popular and and often you know quite good but amnesty i feel created a fairly strong divide in the fandom because there are some people who were kind of all in on it some people were totally turned off by the the switch to a totally different gameplay system uh no more high fantasy uh a totally different tone like it's still funny i i find Taz Amnesty pretty darn funny, but it's way less focused on jokey banter um, between the actual characters than than the balances. Um, but I I don't mind the tonal shift because, well, probably because I'm a sucker for monster stories, <laughs> and and I also like stories about Appalachia. Um, I, I've got family from Appalachia. All my mom's side of the family is from Kentucky, so I have you know, a connection to West Virginia, all of the McElroys are from West Virginia. And so you have Clint, who is the father of the three McElroy brothers, Griffin, Justin, and Travis, telling a story about their home. And so I feel like it's a way more personal story in a lot of ways, because they get to talk about the things they're they're passionate about in their homeland. Yeah, I think for me, not being super familiar with the sort of tabletop role-playing games, it took me, I would say, an episode or two to really get into it. And then once I was getting more familiar with the characters, you know, like, okay, who is Duck? Who is Ned? Who is Aubrey? And then you have some other characters like Mama who come in and you get to know them. But I think 
when you have something like this, you have to be able to do it really, really well. And I honestly could not tell if this was even scripted or not, because at times it seems like there was some hesitation with answers and actions that they were going to take after rolling the dice. So it really felt natural the way they were talking with each other, because it obviously being a family, they're going to be able to do that more easily than if it were a group of strangers trying to put this together for the first time. But I think just the banter between them, even when it's story banter worked really well. Yeah, well, the McElroys, all of them are master improvisers. Clint was a radio broadcaster for many years, so his ability to be a personality on air bred a sort of charisma and an ability to just speak freely and concisely while also improvising. And then, you know, Travis and Griffin and Justin all grew up around the same table trying to one-up one another. And that's what their show My Brother, My Brother and Me is like. Um, except they they use um, the structure of an advice show to actually goof off. That's basically all My Brother, My Brother and Me is. And that, of course, has been an enormous success. And that's a show I listen to every week and, and have a vast amount of love for. So uh, all of the Adventure Zone is partially scripted. So you'll have Griffin doing narration, some of which was written before the session, some of which is written after the session before editing. But most of the character interactions are improvised, um, even though if they, if they have like a fairly good idea of where an episode is supposed to go or what the outcome of an interaction is supposed to be, um, they're, they're still allowed to kind of play around within that. And one, th- one of the things that happened in Balance, in, in this previous huge high fantasy D&D story, is that eventually it fell upon these guys to tie this huge story up in a uh, relatively neat bow, which meant that the show became less and less improvised. So by the time the finale of uh, The Adventure Zone Balance came around, it was a lot of narration, and the narration was written in the style of a screenplay, so it was even down to describing camera moves and things like that. Okay. And it was scored, I mean, you know, very cinematically by Griffin McElroy. And one of the his goals in Amnesty was to make the storytelling flow a little bit more freely and be guided by the choices of the players, Travis and Clint and Justin, um, instead of coming to a uh, neater conclusion. And the conclusion was was a lot sort of messier. And I won't spoil eventually what that is, but um, for anybody who's listening who's who's wondering what this show is actually about, you know, yes, it's a a kind of a horror story set in West Virginia with monsters. And it's about a group of three um, unlikely companions that find their way into one another's lives uh, because uh, they all encounter a monster. And eventually they're, they're gathered into an organization that is tasked with hunting these monsters down because the monsters are coming through a portal in the woods from some other unknown location and um, there is one character uh, who is a spell slinger who can wield fire magic. She goes by Aubrey, and uh, she is played by Travis. Uh, Justin McElroy, the, the eldest uh, brother of the McElroys, plays Duck Newton, who is a uh, forest ranger. And he, his, his character type is the chosen, which means he is an actual prophecy, like chosen one. 
Um, so he has like a, a weapon of destiny that is given to him and has someone that actually advises him on what his eventual destiny is. And then you have Clint's character, who is this con man, a criminal who who has found himself sort of hiding out in Kepler, West Virginia and, and owns sort of a, a roadside tourist trap. Uh, all about the the cryptids of the area, the Mothman and Bigfoot and so on. And together, they're going to have to fight off hordes of monsters. That's the eventual structure of the the Adventure Zone Amnesty. What makes it fun, too, is how unlikely it is that these people would ever interact willingly with each other. And you get mm-hmm. these big personalities thrown together for this sort of big final battle that they're going to have. And because I'm, again, not super familiar with how these games typically work, everything was sort of a new revelation for me while I was listening to this. And that made it so that I never really knew what to expect, not only from a story perspective, but just as to how things play out with the rolling of the dice and you know they do explain some of that stuff along the way but i feel like for anyone who had already listened to previous episodes or had ever played these sort of games it was probably easier to just be like oh yeah of course this is what's going to happen yeah i mean the game mechanics in monster of the week actually have a bit more unpredictability to them okay um like i said with D, so much of the 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 eventual like progression of the characters is about power fantasy it's a you know it's a fun power fantasy kind of game where you can wield super powerful spells and you know have all sorts of cool magical effects and cool swords and weapons and whatnot and that's great here in uh the monster of the week system powered by the apocalypse the characters only progress when they fail so if they roll poorly you know they get told to mark experience and that's actually how they get to progress and whereas in a game like D&D, the more you level up, you know, the stronger your character gets and you acquire more hit points, you're harder to kill. In Amnesty and, and in the Monster of the Week system, I think they get a maximum of seven hit points. So if they get hit for, for two, you know, if a monster attacks them and they get hit for two hit points, that's a significant injury for that character. Right. And then the primary combat mechanic, which is roll to kick some ass, always infers that whoever is going to roll the kicks and mass will also get hurt. Um, so they're almost, there is almost never a situation where one of the players is going to roll a combat roll and come away unscathed. There are certain like magical items and things like that, that will allow characters to sustain damage, but not take hit points off. Um, the, for instance, Duck. Duck is, you know, because he is chosen, he is harder to kill. He's just tough. Right. And so he might take two damage, but it would only count for one. Um, I, I can't remember if that's exactly how that works for him or not, but it's it's something similar where he, he sustains less damage than other characters naturally. They do play with that, though, eventually in the series, not to spoil a whole lot, but um, they start to play with how to make Duck more vulnerable, um, which is cool. I, I like how the show throws some curveballs eventually i'm not sure if you'll get there i don't even know if you liked it that much but um i would recommend it it's a it's a shorter run than balance i think it's a i think it's 36 episodes and they're all about the same length 
I know when you and I were discussing this, I was kind of scrolling through and I was like, oh boy, (laughs) these arcs are fairly long here. But I think because of how these first five episodes start and end, you do get a nice wrapped up story within these five episodes. And then if I'm not mistaken, they took a break from Amnesty and did a few other different episodes before picking it back up. That's right. So after the big balance story ending and the podcast was trying to find its footing and find a new story to move forward with, they did several short experimental arcs. They had Amnesty, who that was um, GM'd by Griffin. They had Dust, which was GM'd by Travis. And then they had Commitment, I think it was, that was GM'd by uh, Clint. And they did those three. I think they were each six episodes apiece. And then at some point they had just kind of figured out that like the one we care about the most is amnesty. Like that was the one they were most excited to play. It was the one they liked the most and you know, with their characters. So they decided to turn amnesty into a full blown, um, full length show of 36 episodes. Yeah. I think if I go back to this, it's something that's going to take me more time because I listen to all of these episodes in a two or three day period. And Like we've said, it's kind of a lot to take in, especially if you're not Mm -hmm. familiar with anything that came before Amnesty. But I think I liked it enough to try and finish out Amnesty at some point. I don't know when exactly it would be. I'll probably try to do like a couple a week at least or something. So I'm not eating it all up at once and forgetting little details because... That's why I took about two pages of notes just on these five episodes because I was like, okay, (laughs) I kind of want to remember what happened in each one because I didn't know how in-depth you wanted to go. And I think talking more broadly about this works better in case we do inspire anyone else to go check it out because I don't hear a lot of people, at least in my friend group, talking specifically about fiction podcasts and I'm Mm -hmm. very aware of them just from following podcast industry news. I know it's a big thing now. You have Gimlet where they've done ones where they hire, you know, like David Schwimmer was doing one of the podcasts. I think it was the Dolores Roach one. And you have these big names getting into podcasting and a lot of people are using it as a tool to get the podcasts adapted into TV shows and movies, which I find to be very interesting. And that's why I brought up, you know, the comic book adaptations. You said you have the music from this in physical form. And it's very intriguing what you can accomplish with a fiction podcast. And I think these guys have it down really, really well. And even if Amnesty at first wasn't taken as well as Balance, for instance you still know what you're getting with these guys after you've even only listened to a handful of episodes like I have. Well, uh, (laughs) there's been a wrinkle. Now that Amnesty is over, they are on to their third big story, which is called Graduation. Okay. And Griffin McElroy is no longer the game master of that game. Now it's passed on to Travis McElroy. And Graduation, to, to say that Graduation is divisive would be a vast understatement. Graduation in my estimation, is pretty widely disliked. 
it, I, I've found graduation to be really, really frustrating. They went okay. back to Dungeons and Dragons. And te- yes, technically it does use Dungeons and Dragons when they need the gameplay structure. But so often it's just an improvised fantasy fantasy show that is very largely guided by a template that that Travis McElroy set out. And the reactions to, to graduation, unfortunately, have been... Um, not not great um i'm not a huge fan of it i'm i'm you know sorry to say um though i have listened to every episode and and i feel like it has improved somewhat but it's a tough listen so would you say with amnesty though if you've listened to this first sort of mini arc you know what you're going to get with the rest of amnesty yeah i would say pretty much but there's only so much they can repeat that certain structure where it's like oh, we're, you know, hanging out, we're in a group and there's a new monster in town and we have to go kill the new monster. Like there's only so far they can take that. And so Griffin has to come up with new ways to throw new curveballs at the characters every single time. And the eventual reveal of like why all this is going on was um, pretty cool. <laughs> and it and it changed, I think it fundamentally changed rather the the kind of story it was because the elements that you get in those first few episodes of Amnesty make you feel like, oh, like we have these characters in the normal world who are discovering a gateway into a world of high fantasy. And yes, that's true, but it's not the only thing going on. So my pleasure in discovering eventually like why all this stuff is happening is is pretty cool. I mean, maybe it's a little bit convoluted by some standards, but it's nowhere near as, as complicated and convoluted as what happened in in Balance. And which which also had the same sort of idea where it was like there'd be a group of like five, six, seven episodes where our characters are on some quest to get to accomplish some sort of fantasy goal uh, to defeat a certain enemy or to get a certain item. And then there would be a reset where like they'd go back and, you know, for an episode or two, they would do the sort of filling in the story around the gameplay uh, where characters would do things like go visit their families or, you know, uh practice certain abilities that they would gain for for new parts of the story things like that and so amnesty retained a bit of that where it's like okay for the next five episodes they're going to be hunting this monster and then there will be an episode where they're all just kind of hanging out together um and the story will develop without the threat of a monster but i'm glad that they realized that like okay we don't want to drag that on as long for amnesty so it's a more a much more concise story I want to talk a little more about the characters. We don't have to go into a ton of specifics, but I think what they did well with the characters was that they gave you bits and pieces throughout and they made sure to kind of cover all of the bases with every episode. They weren't going to just not include a character for an entire episode, it seemed. And obviously when you're watching something like a season of TV, Maybe there's a week where the actor isn't available and they're just not in one of the episodes or, you know, maybe they're just a recurring character and you don't get to see them every single week. I feel like what they accomplished was, hey, here are the three characters you need to focus on the most. There are going to be other people coming and going, but we're going to update you on what these three are doing every single time. Yes, and what Amnesty does to that point is that it, it does a lot more of splitting the party. So you have this party of three characters that are a, a fighting team. And 
in Dungeons and Dragons, it's kind of looked down upon to have the party split up and start doing different things because it takes other players out of playing for a long time while the, the game master is focusing on play with one single character. Um, and the structure of this as a fiction podcast allows them to do that a bit more to split the party up. But Amnesty got a lot of criticism for splitting the party as frequently as it did. Balance and people's enjoyment of balance, I feel, fed off of that group dynamic where the four McElroys and, you know, w- would be able to kind of riff and bounce off one another as their characters, similar to the way they would do so as normal individual people who are not playing a game. Um, and so, so much of the enjoyment of, of Taz came from the just the the bouncing off of and the riffing and the improvising whether it was in the actual diegesis of the story or just outside of it as like meta commentary on the game amnesty focused a lot more on the individual experiences of the characters and so as a result the group dynamic in amnesty and throughout the entire uh run of amnesty is actually i guess neglected in some ways where the three main characters don't have a whole lot of a sense of like group identity. For instance, Aubrey and Duck, they never really establish much of a rapport. And it's not like they do, it's not like they dislike each other, but they just don't get a whole lot of time to spend with one another. There are segments, for instance, where, where uh, Duck and Ned get to go off and have their sort of interactions, you know, just the two of them. And it's established that they knew each other before Aubrey came into town. So there's a sense of history between them. But Aubrey is the newcomer, and she doesn't really develop a strong relationship with 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 Duck at all. And um, that, I feel like, makes Amnesty feel a little less friendly as a show. It's a little less lovey. I totally get that. I think just for my brain it was easier for me to keep track of okay this character is doing this this character is doing this and the third character is doing this and they were breaking it up into chunks that made it easier to know who was who because I feel like if all of these guys would have been talking back and forth at the same time I personally would have gotten lost just within these first five episodes of trying to keep track of who was who and who was doing what. But that might just be me because it's an audio format and not a visual format. Well, the McElroys often get um, from new listeners, especially that that it's like, well, I can't tell you guys apart. And you know what? When I first started listening to My Brother, My Brother and Me, I had difficulty telling Justin and Travis apart. But, you know, occasionally they'll joke about this. Like there was a a really crass joke one of them made on My Brother, My Brother and Me recently. And and Travis said, I'm so ashamed that people might think it was me that said that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can understand why it would be difficult to tell them apart. But luckily, one of the things they enforce, um, because they learn so much throughout balances, they call each other by character names. So... When Griffin wants to do something with Travis, he won't say, Travis, let's do this. He'll say, Aubrey, what are you doing? So it, it becomes a lot easier to distinguish the characters. Um, and then, because they're all actors and voice actors and improvisers, they're doing character voices. So Duck, yes, sounds like Justin, but not exactly like Justin. 
uh, and you know Travis is playing a female character, and so that's got to come across in in certain ways. And the way that they get into these characters and sort of find and, and settle in how they how they sound, like Aubrey, for instance, starts off like way hyperactive, but eventually sort of relaxes a little bit. But you can still tell that Travis is crafting a character with her. Yeah, it was just easier for me, I think, being introduced to it this way, so that. Mm-hmm. I'll probably, like I said, finish up Amnesty at some point. It'll surely take me a while. But now I'm interested to go back and at least check out some of the balance episodes because I'm just such a nerd for how these things are made. And you mentioned there's some sound design, but not a whole lot. And I liked that because I think at times if they had done more sound design work, it would have distracted maybe a little more like if they had been putting in a bunch of sound effects and things like that which works for certain things i mentioned marvel doing fiction podcasts they recently did a second season of the wolverine podcast that they were doing and they did a marvel's podcast and for that kind of stuff because of you know the bam, smack, whatever stuff that you get in the comic books, it makes sense for them to kind of bring those to life in an audio format. But for this, I like that they didn't go and lean too heavily into sound design. Instead, they focused on their world building and character building, even though that happened to be individually for the characters in this particular arc. Yeah. I, I, you know, just as a, if anybody out there is looking to get into the Adventure Zone, you know, I I read a lot of queries on the adventure zone subreddit that are like where should i start should i listen to this should i listen to that and it's it's a difficult question to answer because if i tell you to start at the very beginning the very beginning of the adventure zone is just four guys playing dungeons and dragons and that's just as boring as it sounds it is extraordinarily rough it is four guys just trying to figure it out and they're starting with a story template that is directly out of one of the Dungeons and Dragons manuals. It's the Lost, I think it's the Lost Minds of Phandalin uh, campaign that they're playing. And at a certain point, they decided that they liked what they were doing enough as a fiction podcast to take it in its own direction. But it's not like for, I don't know, 15, 20 episodes into the Adventure Zone uh, balance that I felt like that show became its own thing. Okay. Justin McElroy likens it to a car that learned to fly. You know, it was expected to do one thing and then it completely took off and, and suddenly was this other, was this whole other thing. And it's been a challenge for them to, to be able to deal with, to deal with the kind of demand and notoriety that, that the Adventure Zone has brought them. I think Justin, it was him as well. That's like, you know, my Bim Bam has listeners, my brother, my brother and me has listeners, but the Adventure Zone has a following and him lining, you know, outlining that difference was like, okay, this is going to open us up to a lot more dialogue and criticism and expectations from the listeners. Because pretty much every single episode of My Brother, My Brother and Me is the same format. Um, Whether they do it live or whether they do it, you know, standard over Skype. But the Adventure Zone presents all these new opportunities to create expectations in in the listeners and, you know, to create characters that they will love or, you know, it, it basically gives you, the creator, the ability to break the audience's heart. But you can break their heart in a way that works or in a way that, that will make them hate you. <laughs> and, and they've already kind of run into a couple of things where it's like, okay, well, clearly that was the wrong idea. <laughs> so 
um, it's it's all kind of shaped them as storytellers and business people and podcasters. Like even even just recently, there was some controversy over how much certain artists got paid to have their fan art featured into uh, in the back of the um, uh, Adventure Zone Balance graphic novels. And so the McElroys had to take certain things into their own hands and renegotiate contracts and all this kind of stuff that they, you know, never had to do with my brother, my brother and me. That's the thing about podcasts, too, now, is that there's a ton of money in it if you have something that is as successful as The Adventure Zone. And I'm not saying you have to be as successful as The Adventure Zone to make money from podcasting, but the amount of business decisions that these guys have to now make due to the growth of this show, and that will affect, you know, like you said, my brother, my brother, and me, and... You have this thing where they, at this point, have such a big following, they kind of have to give the listeners what they want and also still be creative enough to... That is that is tough, yeah. ...keep it going because one thing that I've learned just from working on other podcasts aside from my own is that with people who have bigger followings... You can't just be like, well, I'm going to be selfish and do what I want. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's just what it's going to be because people will have something to say about it. However, for someone like me who doesn't get thousands of downloads an episode, I can do what I want with my podcasts and maybe they might not grow as much as I would like, but it's something that I can do for myself when you're at a smaller level and because of how much the adventure zone blew up because when you brought it to my attention it wasn't the first time i had heard about the podcast ever it was just the first time i had sat down and thought about it and been like oh you know maybe i should listen to this and the fact that they can still have new people coming to their show years after the first episode that's still going to impact how they do things going forward it is. And, you know, the Adventure Zone sort of media empire continues to expand. Um, there is an uh, an Adventure Zone animated show in the works. Whether or not it actually, actually you know, comes to series remains to be seen. But there is a TV show in the works with um, NBC's streaming service Peacock. Okay. The McElroy brothers had previously worked with NBC's streaming service, uh, the now defunct streaming service CISO. Um, when they got to produce six episodes of a My Brother, My Brother and Me show for for distribution over that streaming network. And it's a pretty good show, I thought. But then again, I'm a, like a super fan of My Brother, My Brother and Me. So I don't know, maybe maybe it was a, maybe its appeal was just too limited. But um, the thing about podcasting as a revenue stream in this in this in this business is that unless you have some way to dynamically update your advertising, you're not making any money unless you're constantly creating new content. Right. And constantly creating new content, the days for that are limited. You know, you only have so much time on your hands to to create new stuff. This is like one of the big sources of YouTuber burnout. Especially for something that clearly takes as much time as this. Yeah. You know, and while they were doing live shows, obviously that was a big source of exhaustion for them because they were touring around this, the United States doing these live shows. And, you know, while it wasn't like, you know, an uber rock star tour, I'm sure it was still exhausting for them. Like all three of these guys, you know, Travis and and Griffin and Justin, they're all dads of young children. Clint is a retired 
radio broadcaster, but he was allowed to retire because of the success of the Adventure Zone. The success of the Adventure Zone and My Brother, My Brother and Me are what allowed Justin and Griffin to resign from their positions at Polygon.com. You know, and, and these guys, they've been doing My Brother, My Brother and Me as a show for over a decade. You know, it's not like these guys were new on the scene with the show and just instantly rocketed up to the top of comedy charts or instantly got signed to the Jesse Thorne's um, Maximum Fun Network. They had been going at this, you know, for a long time back when podcasting was decidedly less popular than it is now. But it's still a tough format for people to get into. You know, audio is a difficult thing to share because audio doesn't go viral. Videos go viral like that. But trying to get a piece of audio to go viral doesn't really work. You can't put an MP3 up on SoundCloud and send it around to a whole bunch of people because people aren't listening. People aren't interested in listening to something for whatever reason. It's just not as engaging as video. And now we have a time in this pandemic where people don't have as much opportunity to sit and listen to something for a long time because they're not commuting. They're not going out as much. And I listened to so much of the Adventure Zone on my commute. So hopefully, even even in a time like this where there is less, you know, staring time that needs to be accompanied by something, hopefully people can still find the Adventure Zone because they're, they've found ways to dynamically advertise with the show now to help, you know, sustain their revenue stream. Yeah. And a lot of big podcasts are moving to podcast hosts that offer that. And I know we're getting pretty heavy on the behind the scenes podcast kind of stuff, even though both you and I have not worked on this show. We kind of have an idea of the general things that go on behind the scenes for podcasts of this size. And I think what's interesting with the Adventure Zone, too, is that they are just building up this intellectual property that is fully theirs. You said one of the guys does all of the music scoring. So it's obvious that between this family, they're able to do a lot of things that other people would need to get an entire team for. And that is super amazing, you know, just from an output perspective, too. Even doing this show every other week, that's a lot of work going into something for a fiction podcast because you and I both edit at least our own podcasts and we know yes. how long that can take just for a conversation that is not involving any sort of imagination, really. It's just a straightforward conversation. I'm not really putting any music to this. I'm not trying to figure out, okay, do we need a dramatic pause here? Do we need something else here? Yeah, there's very little about our episodes that is scripted. Yeah. Whereas with, you know, all of the Adventure Zone, it's all partially scripted. Right. So the interactions in the episodes between the characters might be improvised, but there's going to be scripted bits written in later uh, that are going to be written, which means they're going to be edited, which also means they're going to be rewritten. And then they're going to be recorded, yep. which also means they have to be edited, which also means they have to be re-recorded. And then the same is with music. You write music, therefore you have to rewrite music and then record and re-record. It just like, it goes on and on and on. I have no idea how they managed to tackle a project this large while raising their children, working full time, uh, and then working it to a point of success that allowed them to turn podcasting into their full-time jobs. Uh, and now they've even written a book on podcasting that's going to come out in January. <laughs> well, now I have to get that. <laughs> uh, I don't know how they do it 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, hopefully my brother, my brother and me will be your jam because it's not nearly as much of a commitment. It's more of a show that you can have on in the background. You don't have to listen to it as actively as you do a fiction podcast. Um, because you're not being told a really involved and complicated story. It's just three guys goofing off uh, about questions that get asked to them directly or asked um, on the Yahoo Answers website. It's a fun show. I like them a lot. I love the McElroys. And Amnesty has been my favorite exercise in storytelling from these guys so far. You know, like when I listened to the finale of Balance, it was great. I loved it. It, it hit all the emotional beats that it needed to. But like when I listened to the finale for to, for Amnesty, like I was listening to that show week to week, like wondering like, oh my gosh, is it going to drop today? What time is it going to drop today? Um, and then by the time the finale hit, like there's a certain point in the finale where I just like melted down. It was <laughs> it was a lot. Um, so Amnesty is my is my favorite story that they've told. One last thing I want to bring up real quick here before we start wrapping things up is the buildup that they accomplish over these five episodes. Because you have episode one where you're being introduced to the characters, you get a feel for their personalities. And then episodes two through four, I would say, you're coming across all of these little things that keep getting in the way. Oh, we're going here. Mama is, you know, driving me out of town what's going on here and you then have this big battle and this vivid description of the monster in episode five so what they managed to blend really well was getting to know the characters as well as getting to know the set pieces and then having these conflicts arrive that delay the characters and there's tension and you really feel what the characters are feeling at times meanwhile they're all they're always weaving in backstory yes you know there's a really brilliant point and i think it might be episode three or four where ned is driving a car and it flashes back to a point in ned's past where he was driving a car as a getaway driver yeah and it was like oh i really liked that that moment of transition and the way that's handled was really beautiful and organic at first, I was like, wait, did they say that was years ago? I'm just, you know, making sure I didn't miss something big here. And again, this is something that requires a lot more attention than I typically give to podcasts. And yeah, to listen to a fiction podcast is a totally different experience than just listening to one of our shows, for instance. Sure. Yeah. For instance, I, I like to listen to fiction podcasts with headphones in. Whereas if I'm listening to a podcast like Genre Vision or Welcome to Geekdom or Chat Cemetery, I have no problem like, you know, I'll be washing ditches and I'll just have it coming out of my phone speakers yeah. <laughs> because I'm not like terribly invested in the sound design of it all. You know, no offense to any podcast out there, but like most of your podcasts, I'm listening to my teeny tiny phone speakers. But on podcasts where I know a lot more effort has been put into the sound design, I'll be listening with headphones. That's what I did as well. And I think this is something that for me was a good experience because it was a blind spot, admittedly, in a lot of my podcast listening experience that I've had over the last however many years I've been doing this now, five, I want to say. And it's something that I've always found interesting, but I haven't wanted to use like the brain space to really dive into a bunch of fiction podcasts all at once. So I am very thankful that you suggested this and gave me a very good excuse to do some homework. And 
it helps me understand the world of fiction podcasts better while also getting a fun story to listen to. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, that was one of the, that was probably my biggest question is, did you like it? Yeah. So, you know, that was, <laughs> I wanted that validation, I guess. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we go here? Uh, nope. Uh, you can listen to my weekly show, Genre Vision, at genrevision.com. I also co-host and edit a monthly show all about shark movies and other types of aquatic horrors called Finflix. You can find both Genre Vision and Finflix wherever podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, you name it. Awesome. Definitely go check those out, especially if you like any sort of genre kind of movies. Genre Vision is the perfect podcast for that. And Travis, thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.